Hi, this is Daniel James, and this is the podcast of Triple R's The Mission, a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The Mission is broadcast live on Triple R each Tuesday evening. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. This is long overdue. It's an acknowledgement that the pain in our past is present in the lives of people right now. Uh, It's a recognition that without truth, without justice, you can't have a treaty. Uh, You can't take that incredibly powerful step forward until we go through this process of truth and justice giving Indigenous and non-Indigenous people alike the opportunity to tell their whole story, uh, for that to be a path to truth and a path uh, to healing. Uh, You can't have true reconciliation for all Victorians until we go through this process. And the thing I wanted to stress today is that whilst this is a first for our nation, and once again Victoria is taking the lead, Uh, whether that's through treaty, whether it's through the People's Assembly, the First People's Assembly, uh, or whether it's through the announcement today of the Truth and Justice, the Uruk uh, Justice Commission. Uh, This is something that that has been happening around the world. 30 other nations have gone through a Truth and Justice Commission. Canada, South Africa, our near neighbour and friend New Zealand. This is an important and historic path that we must all go through. Good evening and welcome to episode 000095. That was the Deputy Premier there, uh, James Molino, announcing a significant, significant thing this morning in Corandirk out at Hillsville on our Wurundjeri land. And it's like to acknowledge that I am broadcasting tonight from Wurundjeri land. We'll get into all that uh, later. Let me be honest, I've been around this game for uh, quite a while now, the game of uh, advocating for my people to try and improve the lives of our mob. I've done this in various guises over the years. I've been in the community sector, I've been a volunteer, I've been a public servant, believe it or not, I've been a consultant, I've worked for -for non-for-profits, and the change I've seen in that time has either been non-existent or glacial in the speed of that change. But one thing has changed in recent times, and that's the ability for Aboriginal voices to be heard. This station being a prime example of that. There's never been more vibrance within the Aboriginal arts scene. The literary world has been turbocharged with Aboriginal voices, some of the finest writers of our time. And of course, I don't need to tell the Triple R audience about how deadly the First Nations music scene is now. Again, dominating. Some of our best journalists in this country are Aboriginal. Our faces are now being seen, our voices are now being heard. But the announcement today by the Victorian Government in partnership with the First People's Assembly of Victoria potentially takes things to a whole new level. The establishment of Uruk, Justice Commission, Uruk being the wamba wamba word for truth, means it will be Australia's first truth-telling process into the injustices experienced by traditional owners of country and Aboriginal Victorians since colonisation. 
The Commission will investigate both historical and ongoing injustices committed against Aboriginal people since colonisation across all areas, social, political and our economic life, and is expected to take about three years to complete, with an interim report being tabled at some stage. The Commission will have the powers of a rural commission, so therefore able to compel witnesses to testify. I don't think there'll be too much of that. I don't think there'll be a need for too much of that. But it means that the state government, the Crown, is putting its full weight behind looking into these matters. This is the truth-telling process that generations of Aboriginal people have been asking for. With the powers of a Royal Commission, we'll be able to tell our story without fear nor favour. We'll be able to highlight the links between post-trauma, past trauma and today's dire outcomes. If it goes to plan, the process of producing the Commission report itself will result in change. Just imagine the wealth of resources that will fall out of the process from hundreds of stories, from hundreds and thousands of hours of testimony. Some of these stories, some of that testimony will undoubtedly find its way into the Victorian curriculum for future generations to discover, learn from and acknowledge. So the process itself, I reckon, will reap its own benefits. But of course, it's not going to be easy. Some wounds will be reopened. Many uncomfortable truths laid bare. And the one thing to remember is that it's going to... Um, we got to this point because of so many different generations, dozens of generations of advocates throughout history, predominantly in the 20th century. In 1933, William Cooper, as the head of the Aboriginal Australian Aborigines League, sought an audience with King George to improve conditions for our people. And in some ways, 88 years on from that, Uruk is that audience. We now have the audience of the Crown through a commission that has the powers of a royal commission. And so these things are slow to change, but they do eventually come if we are patient. So we'll be watching this space over the next few years very carefully, unless I get a better offer. But coming up on the um, show tonight, uh, we have a very good show, by the way, uh, Healing Foundation CEO Fiona Peterson, regarding the recommendations of the Aged Care Royal Commission final report that was only tabled last week, seems like a lifetime ago. And the fact that the report itself recognises the specialised aged care needs for members of the Stolen Generation, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people of the Stolen Generation. And in the second half of the show, we will talk about Uruk with who better than the co-chair of the First Peoples Assembly of Victoria, Auntie Geraldine Atkinson. So, uh, as always, the best way to connect with me is via my Twitter handle at Mr DC James. This is the mission or 102.7 FM. Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7. Now, last week, and it was only last week, the report and recommendations from the Aged Care Royal Commission were released. The report itself painted an extremely bleak picture of the aged care sector, particularly those homes that are run for profit. But what do the recommendations mean for survivors? of the stolen generations and for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people more broadly, many of whom are now coming face-to-face with the very same aged care system. Well, here to tell us what some of this means is uh, Fiona Peterson. Fiona is the CEO of the Healing Foundation, 
a national Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander organisation that partners with communities to address the ongoing trauma of stolen generations caused by the actions of the forced removal and the government policies of Aboriginal children from their families. Fiona has an extensive background working with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and communities. Fiona is a Master Graduate of ANU College of Business and Economics and an Associate Fellow of the Higher Education Academy of the UK. Holding past senior roles in community and government organisations, she utilised her global experience in education, leadership and business development to raise awareness around the impacts of intergenerational trauma and I'm very pleased to say that Fiona is on the line with us now. Fiona, welcome to the mission. Thank you. Thank you for the intro and for having me. I appreciate it. No sweat whatsoever. Let's um, let's start broadly. Uh, you know, we've all had roughly one week now to digest the Royal Commission report. Um, what yeah. have you made uh, of the findings during during that week? What have, what have you taken out of it? Yeah, look, we, we believe it's responded quite strongly to the broader aged care crisis in Australia. Uh, but it, importantly, it's reinstated that cultural safety must be at the centre of the aged care pathway uh, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. And having the mandate to... Um, to advocate and influence systems and, and sectors that, that um, provide services to our stolen generation survivors and their families, uh, we, we are, are encouraged um, by what the report found, definitely. There were a couple of recommendations in particular that were particularly pertinent to the, to the area that we're speaking of. We'll talk about that in, in a second. Sure. Um, tell us about how the stolen generations now are, are of, of an age where the, they are beginning to intersect with, with the aged care system. How are they intersecting with the system and interacting with the system? Yeah, so um, obviously there's been a lot of grief and suffering and, and trauma, not just by the removal, but um, uh, once they were removed and institutionalised, um, subject to harsh and degrading treatment, including abuse and, and racism. Uh, and, and many were denied um, employment uh, and education opportunities. So um, uh, it, the, the idea of interacting with, uh, with an, an institution, again, is, is quite, um, you know, there's a lot of fear. Mm. Uh, so, and many stolen generation survivors live with, you know, lifelong physical, mental and economic disadvantage. And so they, uh, you know, the fear is really real that uh, it, it's all happening again to them and they won't have um, the, the control over their lives that, mm. that they were, they ended up um, having uh, since, you know, being... Um, becoming adults. So uh, we know too, the data tells us they're significantly more likely to depend on government payments, to not own their own home um, and, and to live alone. So the idea of flexibly meeting their, t their needs, where they're at and where they choose to live, um, uh, where that fear um, doesn't exist, uh, that, that's really important. Well, I guess... Fiona, the, the, the fear is very real and the fear is based totally in reality. I mean, we, we've seen over the past couple of years the horror stories that have been coming out in relation to mm. some of the aged care facilities 
um, around the, the country. And, you know, stolen generation, members of the stolen generations are, are people that have had by and large, if not totally bad experiences with government yeah. systems that are supposed to be there to look after people. So I would imagine that the, the trepidation and the anxiety around heading to that particular part of our care sector is um, uh, more than scary. Absolutely. And um, with the entire stolen generations population eligible for aged care by 2022-23, mm. uh, it's essential that they're offered more holistic social and cultural support um, and, and to gain access to the services they need. We know that only a third... Uh, of, of stolen generation survivors uh, are utilising uh, services they, they are entitled to and eligible for. Uh, and so that, that reaching out has to happen, but there would be no point in doing that if, if the system um, and the sector maintain the status quo, which is <laughs> poor. And so um, this is a real opportunity here for the system to, to make changes that are going to make a difference. Uh, in, in the lives of these, uh, you know, and to the, for their dignity as well. Um, they've been through enough. Yeah, they've been through more than enough. Uh, yeah. let's, let's have a look at um, um, a couple of the more pertinent recommendations that uh, go to the heart of this matter, and we're talking about recommendations 47 and 48. Yeah. Um, let me prompt uh, a discussion with, um, you know, one of the points made in recommendation 47, and it's the first sure. point, and it's um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people should receive culturally respectful and safe, high-quality, trauma-informed, needs-based and flexible aged care services, regardless of where they live. You must, um, you must have welcomed that recommendation uh, when you saw it, Fiona. We absolutely did, and uh, our, our survivors, you know, one of um, the things we try to do really well is to elevate the voices of survivors and... Um, you know, having this in there as the first point, um, it, it means they've been heard. And yeah. um, we're so grateful for that. Um, and it's a mouthful. It looks like a lot of uh, hard things have to happen. But um, our organisation also has a mandate to take the guesswork out of it. And uh, what we're looking at is just working with workforce by workforce, sector by sector, to show them what um, trauma-aware healing-informed practice looks like yeah. so that everybody understands what their contribution is to healing on the day-to-day -day basis. Um, and eventually, these systems that weren't built with us and our families in mind will finally operate with us in mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, you're, you're right. It does, it does come across as a bit of a mouthful, but if you break it mm. down... At the end of the day, what it basically, what we're basically asking for, and what you through the Healing Foundation are asking for, is to treat these people who have suffered enormous trauma throughout their life with basic yes. human decency. Absolutely, absolutely, and and meeting the population where where they're at, and we have all the evidence now to to do that. But it, it's. Um, you know, trauma is a human thing too. It's not an Aboriginal thing. That's not right. a Torres Strait Islander thing. And so everyone with a central nervous system can heal. Um, we're, we're lucky in our cultures. We've got um, wonderful elements of our culture that keep us safe and well. But our survivors were removed from that culture. 
And so we're going about restoring and reconnecting as well, along with the huge network of link-ups and stolen generations organisations across the country. And and so to have this there um, being pointed to as, you know, that culturally respectful and safe um, terminology, uh, we we know how to do that, and we're we're really um, excited at the prospect of continuing to elevate those voices across workforces and across the aged care sector. Well, speaking of uh, workforces, and one of the reasons we we know these things, as you would know, Fiona, is because we listen to our own people, and yeah. we, we 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 do what they suggest, and we listen and we take on board and try and work out ways. Of, um, of doing these things. And so when we come to recommendation uh, 48, which goes to cultural safety, uh, one of the recommendations is required of all its employees um, who are involved in the aged care system and any f- care finders who are not employees to undertake regular training about cultural safety and trauma-informed service delivery. I like, I like the fact that they keep coming back to the idea of trauma informed service delivery because that is so pertinent to what we're talking about. Oh, it absolutely is. And um, uh, for us, it's it's the uh, root cause of a lot of the other uh, symptoms that we see in, uh, in communities. Um, and if you're tackling this, then you're less likely, you're more likely to make that difference and, and um, actually close the gap in some of those um, key life outcomes for our people. It's, nobody's um, ever uh, tackled the trauma to a point where, um, you know, the interactions we have with the systems um, are about our healing. Uh, and and once that happens, we know uh, such it's going to make such a difference to, to our communities and to the outcomes and, uh, and all those statistics statistics that um, we, we constantly report on um, for closing the gap. I'm speaking to Fiona Peterson, who is the CEO of an excellent organisation called the Healing Foundation, and we're talking about the recommendations that came out of last week's Aged Care Royal Commission report. Uh, just on another matter, um, Fiona, while well, I've got you, of course, sure. um, the, the announcement today of that uh, truth-telling commission um, that must have um, rung true in your ears. It must have been something that oh, I'm guessing you would you would welcome. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we put something out this afternoon, just uh, as you say, welcoming um, that announcement. Um, we, we're really lucky to have Ian Ham as the chair of our um, the Stolen Generations Reference Group. Friend of the show. And yes, 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 and. Um, uh, you know, this is this is seen as a huge step forward. Obviously, um, we know, like I said, uh, the organisation elevates uh, stories and and the experiences told by our stolen generation survivors. And this is just a, a, a formal process done sensitively and done well um, that could lead to a lot of healing. Truth is at the centre of that, of healing. At the end of the day, it's it means you're dealing with the actual. Um, problems and situations rather than assumptions and and um, other people's um, lenses. So if you're dealing with what survivors tell you, you're, we know we're more likely to make a difference in healing for them. 
So, yeah, we, we absolutely welcome it. There's an excellent article um, on the ABC website, as a matter of fact, um, uh, relating yep. to uh, Ian today, in which he tells oh, his wonderful. which he tells his story of uh, being a member of the Stolen Generation as being a, a guy called Andrew James, and um, uh, in one document, in the space of one document, him becoming someone completely different, becoming the Ian Ham that we uh, we know and love today. So I urge you to go and check that out. So it's, it's an amazing read. Um, Fiona, uh, one last question. How, yeah. com- how confident are you that the government will accept these recommendations? Well, look, it's a, it's a good question. Um, we know we're ready. We're, we're here. We're, we're sitting ready and available to contribute our expertise and knowledge to, to implementing a lot of these things, and, and particularly recommendation 47 and 48. It's what we've been working on uh, since the Australian government apologised to Solon Generations and, and their families, uh, you know, back in 2013. So we've got all the evidence, the data. We know what works. We're, we're really um, excited at the prospect that we could assist with, with making sure this implementation, that the implementation goes ahead, particularly for these recommendations. Well, if you want to keep track of uh, this campaign and, and follow the progress of these recommendations, I recommend that you go to healingfoundation.org.au. They uh, will release, undoubtedly, regular updates on how we're progressing in this area. But um, for the time being, Fiona, thank you so much for your time, and uh, we'll get you back on to uh, make sure that we keep abreast of these issues. I'd love to come back. Thank you so much. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Now, I said at the top of the show that uh, today is indeed an historic day. Now, we know that uh, government agencies and government departments uh, and their spin merchants put out big words and put a lot of spin on a lot of things, but let me tell you, today was indeed an historic day. The First People's Assembly of Victoria and the state government have made a shared commitment to truth-telling through the Uruk Justice Commission. First Peoples in these countries have been calling for a truth-telling process for generations, and the establishment of the commission builds on the legacy of Aboriginal activism throughout the decades and throughout the centuries. Uruk means truth in the Wimba Wimba Wamba Wamba language, which is spoken in the northwest region of this place we now call Victoria. The Commission is expected to commence in July 2021, and I'm very grateful for our next guest who's had a very, very large day indeed. Aunty Geraldine Atkinson is the co-chair of the First People's Assembly of Victoria, she is a proud Bangarang and Wiradjuri, Wiradjuri um, woman and has committed her life to improving outcomes for her people across a range of portfolio areas, including education, child protection, cultural heritage, to name a few. And I could reel off some of her achievements and titles over the years, but the show only has about 25 minutes left to run, so we better get on <laughs> with it. So without further ado, Aunty Geraldine, uh, welcome to the mission. Oh, thank you very much for having me. A very big day and a long time coming. It certainly has been, well, uh, 233 years, in fact. <laughs> so we've, it's been a long time coming, but it has been a huge day. It's actually been an amazing day. Uh, you said it first, that uh, it, it is historic. Uh, we didn't think that we'd ever come to this, that we'd be able to ever achieve anything like getting something 
that is uh, what we're calling the Uruk um, Justice Commission, which is uh, which you mentioned before, was a Rambaramba rumour word, and we're really proud to uh, that the government has decided and agreed that we would use that uh, Aboriginal word in this uh, Truth and Justice Commission. And it's fantastic to see the Wamba Wamba and Wamba Wamba get a get a Guernsey <laughs> in terms of naming the document. It gets spread around a fair bit, so I was glad to see them finally get a Guernsey <laughs> in relation to this. Yeah. <laughs> now this is um, this process will be a first for Australia, but it's certainly not um, a first globally, is it? No, it isn't. It, it isn't. We we've actually, in fact, we did a lot of research on what was happening uh, in other countries, particularly, you know. Um, Canada, New Zealand, uh, Timor. Uh, there are other other countries that we also looked at where uh, the truth, where, where there were truth commissions mm. and where you know truth about injustices were told. So um, you know it isn't the first globally, but we're, we are so very proud to say it's the first in this nation. Victorian, uh, Victorian uh, Aboriginal activists sort of leading the way again. And like you um, say in the statements I heard you say today and, and others from the uh, people's, uh, First Peoples Assembly, we're actually just getting to a point where we're bringing to fruition years and years of activism from people yep. from all sorts of backgrounds sort of dedicated their lives to get to a point like this. Really, you know what, Daniel, we actually stand on the shoulders of giants yep. that have gone before us, that have, you know, that have wanted justice for Aboriginal people and that have worked tirelessly and so hard uh, to get to, to uh, the stage that we're at. And, and I just want to say that, it's, you know, it's really great to be a part of, you know, co contributing to their legacies yeah. and say what, what they wanted. Absolutely. I think one thing that, um, you know, that the First Peoples Assembly can particularly hand, hang their hats on in relation to this process is that you lobbied very strongly to make sure that this commission has the powers of um, a rural commission. We certainly did. Why, we certainly did. Why is it important that this commission has those powers? We wanted it to be what we wanted to, to be like a royal commission, and it will have the full powers of a royal commission. It might not be called uh, a royal commission, but it's, you know, it's, it's our truth and justice commission. And it has, that, has those same powers, and that's what we wanted. We wanted to be able to ensure that we had um, those commissioners, that when they do make those recommendations, that they will be followed and that they will be actioned. We don't want it to be a, a report or something that just gathers dust on some shelf, but we want to ensure that what it is doing is going to make sure that we have get outcomes, better outcomes for uh, my children, my grandchildren, and every other Aboriginal person's children and grandchildren into the future. The, the commission itself will run for uh, three years. Um, as a layperson, I, I, I think that's a, a, a good time period. I think that's a, a, enough time for, for people to get their stories down on the record. And then one of the primary purposes of the Commission is to make sure that those stories are actually properly recorded. That's exactly right. And what, one, of, one of the other things, uh, Daniel, that we, we, we ensured we put in those terms of reference that will go to the Governor for a sign-off or be letters patent, but we wanted to ensure that they were... That, those, that the commissioners, those five that will be um, selected, will go out onto country. 
I'll go into oh, the community at, on country, sit down on country and listen to those stories of Aboriginal people that will, you know, that our elders will be able to tell. That both, not only elders, but it's not just about what happened in the past, but it's what, ha- what, what is also occurring now in our present day as well. Because there's lots of pain there, uh, Daniel, that from that, all that transgenerational trauma that, you know, that, that our, our old followers had endured is passed on into our younger ones today. And, and all that we see that's happening, that's when you we look at the impacts of what we had, you know, and I think you mentioned, you know, the high incarceration, the, the, still the removal of children from families, a whole range of other things, racism, uh, particularly systemic racism, so that all of that will be investigated and people will be able to sit down and talk about all those stories to those commissioners it's, and their country. It's, it's the first time that we as a collective will be able to paint a, an, an extremely vivid pr- picture of what intergenerational trauma is and not only that um, we will have the power of the state to be able to tell that story that's exactly right and we do and they've given that to us today and, you know it really is it is and I, I just uh, just wanted to say it did take a lot of lobbying and it's taken a lot of lobbying from a lot of people but we the government has listened to what we've had to say and what we said if we want a treaty to, in this state, then we can't have tr- treaty without truth and without the justice being told. It is without truth being told and without having justice yet. Yeah, there's, there's no point. If we can't have an honest discussion, there is no point to a treaty. That's exactly right. Um, uh, tell us about the Commission itself. There will be commissioners. Um, how many commissioners will there be and how will that process go about selecting those okay. commissions? Alright, so there'll be, there'll be five commissioners and what we'll say, there will be, uh, the majority will be Aboriginal. So there'll be people that'll have, um, you know, there will be a criteria for yep. that selection. We have a selection panel that um, that the government has agreed to. So first people to send me uh, lobbied for that, for, for a selection panel to um, interview and select those five commissioners. So we have two from the Assembly, which is Marcus Stewart and Muriel Bamblett. We have one from government, which is, uh, Ellie Petrie, and we have one from, um, I can't remember their name, from the uh, International Centre for Justice. Mm-hmm. So that's the four that will be on the selection panel. They, as I said, there will be a criteria. Uh, they'll, expressions of interest will now, after today, will be put out for commissioners, for people to um, to apply to be commissioners. But I know, I know that, that there will be people that will be interested Uh so it'll be people that, you know, sort of have, have, have those um, abilities and those skills uh, that we want to be able to listen and take into consideration, uh, you know, sort of what colonialism has done to Aboriginal people. They'll have sort of, they'll have uh, the legal, people that have uh, legal abilities. There'll be people that will know uh, exactly what it is that we're looking for and what those stories are going to mean. And not just they'll just won't be words, but they'll mean something to those commissioners. It's very exciting times. One thing I've been thinking about today, as um, I woke up to the news, and I've been thinking about it deeply, is that there will be a report, and there will be an interim report. But one thing that I've thought about today is that the the journey of the commission itself, the actual journey of the of hearing those stories, 
is likely in some ways to be as important as the as the report itself in terms of having real time impacts on people across Victoria. Exactly, exactly, and I've been been thinking about it as well, and I've been asked about whether it'll, people have actually said to me it will be confronting. Yep. It will be con- confronting for the for the wider community to realise and hear those uh, historical injustices that were committed on Aboriginal people because it's you know it's it's, it's been silent on all of that, all of those things that have occurred to Aboriginal people all over those two hundred and thirty three years. It'll be confronting for them, but it also it's going to be confronting for Aboriginal people as well because it, what, what it will do, it, it will probably bring up, you know, trauma that they'll feel in, in, in retelling stories, about telling stories that they've heard from their, their elders or telling stories, you know, that they've heard from family members. So it's going to be, it, it will be confronting, I think, for, for everybody, but it's something that we have to confront, Daniel. Because Absolutely. if we don't confront it, then we can't move on and we can't all heal. And we in the Aboriginal community are not immune to bottling up our thoughts, our fears and anxieties. And so hopefully the process will, will be a release for, for so many people. Um, the announcement today came um, on the grounds of uh, Corin Dirk. That must have been an amazing experience to, to, to launch this there. It, was, it, it truly was an amazing experience. When you think it, you think about, you know, the, those activists that were there on Corinderk all those, you know, in the 1800s that, that lobbied government way back then for justice for Aboriginal people, you know, for their land that they wanted to, do, to retain that land and all that, then, that happened to them on, on, on their journey and about how they were denied... You know, they were denied that justice. So it, it was it, being there was 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 really in it. It was really an emotional time, just sort of standing there and thinking about all those people that were moved from all over Victoria onto Corinth and then moved again back into back out into other missions. So uh, it, it was kind of. Uh, Surreal, taking yeah. trying to take all that in while while doing you know sort of doing and uh, the um, the commission to be announced. Very um very moving and you know those hundreds of people that were moved to Corin Dirk and eventually became dozens are all responsible now for the thriving Victorian Aboriginal population that we have today. Um, one more question before I let you go, Aunt. Um, we mentioned before that we do all stand on, on the shoulders of, uh, of giants. Uh, one of those giants that was a very um, a permanent person for me as a, as a younger man growing up and coming through the ranks was Uncle Alf Bamblett, who is sadly no longer with us. W- what do you think Uncle Alf would have made of today? I think he would have been very proud. I think that he, that for the whole of this process for us, progressing to get First Peoples Assembly of Victoria and then having progressing towards this the truth-telling and then working towards getting a treaty. I just I could just imagine smiling, you know, down on us. And that's how I felt today. Well, fantastic. Well, 
Well done to you. Well done to everyone, <laughs> really, who's <laughs> got us through to today. Um, yes. We'll, of course, stay in touch and um, there'll be lots to talk about over the next few years. But um, thank you so much for your time on what has been an extremely big day for you. So um, thank you once again for your time. Thank you very much for talking to me. And uh, it has been. It's been. It's really coming down. It was an exciting day, very emotional and... Uh, I, I, you know, sort of as I said, you kind of have to release about it, a release about it that it's done, it's happened, and it's uh, and we're moving forward, Daniel. You should get yourself a a, a Bex and uh, lie down. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's what my mother would say. Okay, I will. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.